All right, well, we're getting very close to the end of Titus. So just by way of review, we're here at the very end of Titus. Uh, we've talked about basically that Titus could have two main points that he hits in every chapter. God and the gospel, that would be doctrine, and then obedience. So knowing the truth and obeying the truth. And he hits it over and over in different areas, in different ways. And we talked about a lot of those, you know, um, how that looks in the church, what that looks like in our individual lives as we are mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and how that plays itself out as we work, go out to work and interact with the, the world, how that plays itself out in interacting with the lost government of the world um, and how that plays itself out as we interact with lost people in the world or other Christians. How does that look? And we've talked about a lot of that. We just kind of finished up this section where he has this long section summarizing the gospel. And we looked at a couple different angles on that. And now we're going to kind of get towards the end where he's wrapping it up. And so let's read here chapter 3. We'll read all, all chapter 3 together. Titus 3, starting in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Okay, so the plan today is to kind of cover this next section after he finishes the gospel, this section on the gospel, where he talks about, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. So, starting there, and then we're going to kind of skip over this part about devoting themselves to good works, because if you might notice as we read that, that comes up three times in this chapter at the beginning, then here kind of in the middle, uh, and then again he kind of ends there. And so my plan is to circle back around and cover that next time, because he ends it there, and he, it seems like it's kind of a point of emphasis. So we're going to cover this all the surrounding text around that, and then come back and, and summarize with that. So that's the obedience part that we've talked about before. But today I just want to talk about this section where he's talking about 
insisting on certain things and then avoiding certain things. And this, again, is something that we already talked about some earlier on when he talked about speaking evil of no one, avoid quarreling, so how we honor God with our words. But we're going to cover this specific section and see if there's some things that are a little bit different, something we can glean from it. So let's just start by recognizing that with two big categories that come up here in this section, okay? And let's just look here in verse 8. Let's read through it again. I'm going to use his wording to start. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So we'll pause right there. I'm taking that this saying, he's talking about his summary of the gospel there. There's some things we have to hold on to and insist on. We can't let go. We can't compromise. We can't, there's no wiggle room, and that's God and the gospel. We've talked about this before, that if we get either one of those wrong, who God is or what is the gospel, we can't be Christians. If we say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm saved by faith in Jesus, apart from works, and I, his death on the cross washes away my sins, and, and we say, oh, great, that's awesome. And then you say, and Jesus wasn't God, he was actually Satan's brother or something like that, which some religions believe. We're not Christians anymore, right? We're worshiping two different gods. Um, even if we, this never happens, there's actually, I can't think of any cult where we agree on um, the gospel and not on the nature of God. But anyways, even if that was the case, we wouldn't be brothers and sisters in Christ. If we aren't worshiping the same God, we can't both be Christians. And so that's one fundamental. We cannot compromise on who God is. We have to know God to be Christians. Otherwise, we're worshiping something false. Actually, this comes up in 2 Corinthians where he talks about false Jesuses, which is kind of interesting. But you can worship a Jesus, and it's a false Jesus, right? And a good example might be, if you fell down at my feet and said, I worship you, Jesus, you wouldn't be a Christian, right? Because I'm not Jesus, and I can't save you, okay? Um, and so the reality is we have to hold on to who God is. And also the gospel, right? You could know all about who God is and reject how to be right with God. So you know all these facts about this is what God is like, but then you say, well, I'm going to be made right by, with God by... And anything you say other than the gospel, you can't be a Christian. Um, if you say you're made right with God by doing prayers five times a day, or you say you're made right with God by taking communion, going to confess to the priest, and getting baptized when you're a baby, and that's how you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, right? Because that's not the way we're made right with God. We're made right with God by Jesus' death on the cross for us, his grace in our lives, forgiveness, repentance, and faith in him, and towards him and in him. And that is how we're made a Christian. And so those are two things we have to hold on to. And it's a really good way just to, if you meet somebody, you don't know where they're at, talk to them about the gospel. How is a person made right with God? Kind of to see, well, you know, where are, where are we? Are we? Are we brothers and sisters in Christ or are we not? Because if those two things aren't right, we're not in the same camp. And that's one good way to talk about the difference between true Christianity and all of the religions, you know. Uh, all other cults get these wrong. That either both the identity of God, who God is, and the gospel, or some, like, for example, the Catholic Church gets who God is right, and they get the gospel wrong, and they're working their way. Um, and so they believe uh, semi-Pelagianism. So that's kind of a summary here. These are the things that he's talking about insisting on are God and the gospel. The gospel. We can't wiggle. We can't uh, make room. 
we hold on to it and we insist. This is exactly what it says. This We can't move an inch on this. This is how we're made right with God. It's too important. And so it's a stake in the ground. So he talks about things we must insist on, but and he talks about how that's the... I'm saying that the, this saying, he's referring to the one above that, which is where he talks about the gospel. Okay, but then he kind of summarizes it by saying, these things are excellent and profitable for people. And he introduces another category. Avoid, this is verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So he's introducing these two categories of things, things we have to hold on to, that we have to insist on, and then these other things where he's, he's saying, you don't have to insist on this. In fact, avoid quarreling about it. And so we start by getting these two categories, things we can't compromise on and things where we're going to avoid disunity, we're going to avoid these arguments or dissensions and quarrels about the law. He says they're unprofitable and worthless. And we've kind of talked about this before because the Bible doesn't have this comprehensive list in one of the books. Here's all, here's all the things that we have to insist on. Here's the things that we can disagree on and this is how we handle it. And here's the list of things that you just let go. There's not a comprehensive list. It takes the Holy Spirit's wisdom. And things actually move around. Um, depending on this context and the situation. So I'll give you an example of this. Well, I'm going to add a third category, which I think is not, there's no specific verse about this category, but I think it's a logical necessity that are between these two. So here's where I'm going to start with the PowerPoint, I think. Uh, Let's see, make sure this is on. Okay. So the things we must insist on, I'm going to call essentials. Convictions would be things that you believe that are important, but they aren't a piece of the gospel. Um, the essentials, you could say, you have to believe this to be a Christian. You have to accept this to be a Christian. And then opinions would be the clear things that we're talking about, like dissensions and quarrels about the law. Well, the thing that's kind of confusing is circumcision, you would think, oh, it's obvious. It's a quarrel about the law. It should be down here. Well, the strange part is <laughs> there's a whole book where Paul goes into a long, extended, multiple chapter argument about circumcision. So it's like, well, how do we fit these together? Because he writes a whole book about the law. And so I'll give you kind of how we kind of try and parse these things. And the way we've talked about it in the past is comparing this. I'm using, I think, I think maybe Albert Muller was the one that came up with this, talk, this idea is theological triage which triage, which I'm not a nurse, but the way I understand it is, or a doctor, when you, if you got into an emergency situation, you have to decide what's the most important, what person has the most urgent need, and where do I go first? And we have to do that in the church and when we interact with other individuals um, because what's most important is the God, God and the gospel. And these other things are not unimportant, but they're not all important, okay? So... I'm just trying to take the whole counsel of God here and kind of fit these things in because if he says specifically, let's not quarrel about the law, why did he write a whole book concerning how the Christian ought to relate to the law and kind of jumping into an argument about it? And I think there's a good answer, and that is that if anything gets up in here into the gospel, the essentials, then it suddenly becomes a first-tier issue. 
So literally anything could become a first-tier issue if you're inserting it into the gospel. So in this case, it's circumcision, okay? And this is Galatians, the whole, you know, Paul wrote this uh, to the church in Galatia about this whole idea of salvation by works, and specifically he's talking about circumcision there. So let's read this here, Galatians 5, and kind of see how this works its way out. This is kind of a biblical test case. Like we can see, okay, this is the right way to do it. Um, when This is the right way to handle these disagreements. Okay, Paul says in Galatians 5, 2 through 4, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So there he's making it an absolute. And what he's specifically talking about in context is making circumcision a requirement to be saved. To say, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And he's saying that's not right. And if you add that to the gospel, you don't have the gospel at all. Because you're saying that you're saved by Jesus plus circumcision. And that's false. That's not grace anymore. That's works. Um, And so he's taking a hard line. Why? He's taking a hard line on this because it's getting up here into the essentials. Okay? And then it sounds so different in in this other section. Let's read in Acts where he takes the exact opposite approach. Because the context is different. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. This is Acts 16.3. And he took him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here in this section, he does it just opposite. Timothy, quote, accepts circumcision, but in a totally different way. He's not doing it to be saved. He's not adding circumcision to the gospel. He's saying, I want to reach out to these Jews, and in this context, this is a stumbling block. So I'm going to submit, not to earn my salvation, but to reach out. And in this case, it's totally down here in this realm of opinions and convictions that circumcision is not a first-tier issue. Timothy has liberty to do this or not do this, and he decided to do it to reach out. The reason that he reacts so differently is because of where it's touching, what it's touching here. And in this case, it was touching the gospel. They're inserting this thing into the gospel Whereas in this case, it would be freedom, a conscience issue, that if he wants to submit himself to this and in order to reach out, that he has liberty to do that, and it's not going against Jesus. So how does this work its way out? You know, the things that we must insist on and the things that we, we don't quarrel about. How does that work its way out in our lives and in the church? And why is it important? Well, let's take another issue that I would kind of that actually is compared to circumcision a lot, baptism could become just like this. Okay, is baptism a first-tier or issue, or is it a convictional issue, or is it just kind of an opinion issue? Well, it depends on the context, right? If you make baptism a requirement to be saved, that unless you're baptized, that that's the moment where you're washed and you're cleansed and, and that's what you're trusting in, that becomes a first-tier issue. If you're trusting your baptism plus Jesus, you're not trusting, your faith is not in Jesus, it's in your baptism. That's a first-tier issue. We've got to hold on to the gospel. On the other hand, if we're having a conversation like whether we should baptize infants, well, I would put that down here in the convictional issue because it's something we have to, as a church, take a stand on. We can't, 
it would be very strange to baptize babies and not baptize babies. And honestly, it would violate my conscience to baptize a baby because I don't think it's right. And the Bible is very clear. I shouldn't violate my conscience. I should do what I think is right. And the same for the other elders here. And so baptism becomes this convictional issue where we have to be clear. This is where where we're at. We're not saying the Presbyterian church down the street is all lost. We're just saying that we can't do what they do. It would be wrong for us to do it here. And we're being clear. We don't think we should baptize infants. We baptize believers. Okay? And so that's a convictional issue that, you know, if somebody changed their mind, they could go to a different church. And we would, be, we would say, okay, that's fine. Um, we're going to support you. We're going to have a conversation with you. But, you know, we're not going to discipline you uh, if, if you want to baptize your baby. But we can't do that here. Um, because of our conscience. And then, you know, there might be times where it's even just an opinion issue. How does that, how does that work its way out, right? When do you baptize? How long do you wait? What kind of conversations do you have leading up to baptism? Do you err on the side of caution or do you err on the side of uh, grace? And, and, well, they're saying they want to be baptized. They seem like they understand the gospel. We'll go ahead even if we're not sure. There's a lot of context that goes into where do we place something on this why is this important why is paul talking about this well this comes up a lot this is he's saying hold on to these things and avoid these other foolish controversies so we kind of use circumcision as kind of a test case where it's not easy to make a list of what comes in here the essential part is easier who is god and what is the gospel the way those work their way out there's that we could actually go through all the verses where it's very clear but we've done that before so I'm going to kind of stick to this text, what's different about it. So why is this important? Uh, This is kind of a summary of what I already said here. Almost everything could become an essential issue. Any sin could become an essential issue, right? If somebody says, I want to trust Jesus, here's who God is, I want to be baptized, um, but I don't want to let go of this sin, that's unrepentance, right? And that's touching an essential issue. Uh, It's very difficult to know right off the top of your head what's going on, but if you hear just a list of issues, but anything could become an essential issue if somebody's holding on to it, um, saying, I I refuse to repent, or um, I don't care what God says about this, you know, that becomes an essential issue. So we, just some examples, baptism, we already talked about, communion could be exactly the same kind of, it could become an essential issue in certain circumstances. If you're saying that it washes away your sin or something like that, um, circumcision we talked about the role of the pastor for example what if we started saying that the you come to confess to the pastor and the pastor forgives your sins right then and there pronounces your sins forgiven that would become an essential issue that's not right that's wrong we got to hold on to that on the other hand we can have talks about what is the role of the pastor what how, how does this look how how does this some, someone pastor what does it look like in the day-to-day how what should they spend their time doing all those things would be down here in the convictions and, and opinions, and if it's not touching the gospel, it doesn't necessarily become an essential issue. Alcohol obviously could become an essential issue. Some people take an extreme position one way or the other. And so I'm just trying to lay out here what Paul's talking about, putting in these two categories, in the essentials that we insist on, and then the other things that we try and preserve unity, um, where we have different opinions and there's liberty. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, I th- I'm missing a slide here. All right, well, I'm just going to describe anyways. Um, not sure. 
think there's a slide hidden or something. But anyways, what what is it that we need to do here? Well, we don't want to bring any of these down. We don't want anything in the essential. Imagine an, a down arrow here. We absolutely do not want to take something essential and move it down to something convictional or, or an opinion. We don't want we don't want to compromise anything here and bring it down. This is really, really important. That I, I'll give you a personal story. I was having a conversation with somebody who was a part of a Southern ministry, Christian ministry, and I was concerned. And I basically was saying, like, I'm concerned that you guys don't know the gospel, that you're just letting it, everyone can find a place. People who know the true gospel could come and find a place, and people who believe a false gospel can come and find a place because you welcome everyone. There's no... There's no holding fast to the essentials. There's a lot of liberty on convictions and opinions, but there's no holding on to the essentials. And so I was having this conversation with this person, and I said, well, can you tell me what the gospel is? And they basically said, no, it's just it's such a big thing, and it's so deep that I, I can't tell you in one or two minutes. Like, oh, it's just too much. And I said, well, if I tell you something, can you tell me whether it is or it isn't the gospel? And they said, sure. And I said, that we're saved by faith in Jesus and our good works. And they said, yes, that's the gospel because it includes Jesus. And I, I told them, like, that's not the gospel. <laughs> that's a false gospel. And this is really concerning to me. And so I basically had this conversation where, imagine if you take this triangle and you put it down here in this, and there's nothing you're insisting on. There's hardly anything you're insisting on. That you're just, it's, it's open, it's all open, it's all question mark. Well, we, there's some wiggle room here and there. We don't want that. But we don't want to do the other direction either. So we don't want to take these things down here and move them up to essentials. Okay, we don't want to... I gave a quote in this series on Titus about homeschooling, right? Where a pastor basically said, if you don't homeschool your kids, you're in sin, basically. Uh, I'm, that's my paraphrase, but that's basically what they implied. Here's all the verses, and if you don't do it, you're in sin. I would say that's taking an opinion issue and making it an essential issue that's not right. Okay, or a convictional issue and making it an essential issue. That here we have liberty. Like if you homeschool your kids and you feel like that's what God wants you to do, great. If you don't and you've prayed about it and that's what you feel like God wants you to do, that's great too. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, and there's a lot of issues like that where we can take something that is convictional or, or an opinion and make it an essential issue. And we don't want to do that. Um, whether that's how old the earth is or whether that's your view on Revelation or whether that's a lot of other issues that aren't, they, it's not unimportant, right? It's not that the Bible doesn't address it, but it's not an essential issue that you insist on. And so I'm going to just go over here. This is kind of overview, trying to summarize how do we fit in what Titus said here, uh, what Paul said here to Titus. And I'm going to give you five kind of applications why this is important. Because you could make the argument... Um, why bring up controversial issues at all, right? I mean, it's kind of a landmine, right? It'd be easier to never talk about anything controversial. Just only stick to the basics and never cover anything that is convictional or opinional. Or opinion. Why are we talking? Why are we spending time talking about this? Well, first, we're covering the text, right? Paul thought it was important enough to talk about. It. So we're going to preach the Bible. We're going to talk about what God thinks is important. So here's the first thing. We want to preserve the gospel both from adding to it or taking away from it, which is basically what I summarized that first arrow down. You can imagine that. We don't want to bring anything. We don't want to add anything to the gospel. We don't want to take away anything from the gospel. We want to hold on to the gospel. We're going to insist 
that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we're washed by his blood, not by our good works, and that we're saved by faith in him, period. It's, we're going to insist on that. And there's a lot of ways we could say that, summarize that, but we're going to insist on that. We don't want to add anything to it. And we don't want to take anything away from it. We don't want to take away any one of those pieces. We don't want to take away repentance. We don't want to take away faith. We don't want to take away uh, Christ's death on the cross. We were going to hold on to everything and add nothing. It's very important. So that's the first thing. There's only one gospel. We've talked about this. We already talked about this in our series on the gospel. Just another verse from Galatians. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's only one gospel. We want to preserve that. That's the first reason to have this kind of framework in your mind, to know what's essential. Very important. The second reason, we want to preserve our unity with the universal church by knowing what is essential. So here he's kind of, he's bringing up people that are divisive. People can be divisive in a lot of different ways. Um, and we have to divide on essential issues, right? That's what we're saying. We have to divide on essential issues. We have to insist on these things. But we want to preserve our unity with the universal church by knowing what is essential. If we make our convictions and our opinions all on the same level as of the essentials, we're going, to be, we're going to cut ourselves off, basically, from the universal church. That, imagine I've got a big church history book here. Um, Schaff has a, has a large three-volume history of the Christian church. And if you decide that all your opinions and all your convictions, you're going to add those to the essentials, and those are the real Christians, you're going to read through that whole book, and you're going to realize, wow, Everybody in this whole book was lost. Nobody agrees with me on everything. I'm one of the only Christians. I wonder where the other ones are. <laughs> That's the reality. I mean, if you read some of the older Christian writings, they have weird views on a, tons of stuff, on angels, on a baptism, on tons of different things. They have tons of weird views. And the same in the church, universal church today in, in the world. If you're only going to believe Christians are people who agree with you on every single minute detail then you're not going to know very many Christians. Uh, you're going to cut yourself off from the universal church. So a good example might be, well, let's start with a biblical example from Galatians. Again, Galatians is a, is a great book where he kind of covers a lot of this, but this is Paul talking about confronting Peter specifically on this issue of circumcision and, uh, and the idea of he's only going to Peter's gonna, only going to eat with Jews, he says here. So when Cephas came to Antioch, Peter... I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So here he's insisting on the essentials. And he, in some ways, is quarreling about the law. Not, he's not actually quarreling. He's insisting on the essentials. But you see how um, it's important here. But, okay, this is Galatians 2. For certain men came from James. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, so you see there the insisting on the essentials, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus." So we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. So you see here, this is a good example of 
wanting to preserve the unity of the universal church, right? Peter's adding something. He's convinced by the circumcision party that there's a little bit more than just trusting Jesus. There's also following these ceremonial laws. And he literally cuts himself off from the, from the church. He, he's saying, I can't be around you anymore. And that's not right. And we could do that. Um, we could do that on other issues. That uh, I'll give you an example that um, that I, I have a friend uh, that goes to a church where they had, it, I wouldn't call it a church split, but, but several families ended up leaving because they thought everybody here believes the earth is you know 6,000 years old. They found out, oh, that person doesn't? Well, you need to kick them out. And the pastor basically said, like, it's okay if they don't, like, this is where I stand, but they can be here and they can be a part of the church. And I'm like, well, then we're leaving. And so you see, if it's a danger, right? And what we're not saying is that these things aren't covered in the Bible, that they're not important. We're just saying that we hold different issues differently. We hold the essential issues this way, and we have conversations, we talk, we share verses, we have, you know, we have liberty to discuss these things, but we're not going to divide over these things, these opinions, okay? That's what Paul is specifically saying here. I'll give you another example from Romans. Paul specifically in Romans 14 says, well, I'm just, I'll get it uh, word perfect here for you because I'm not going to be able to quote it without reading it. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So here he says, if, if there's people that have an opinion, okay, uh, that you can only eat vegetables. What do you do? What do you do with them? Discipline them out of the church because they're not Christians? No? Tell them they can't come here because this is a meat-eating church. No? <laughs> Welcome them, and uh, every time they come in the door, make sure to bring up how silly it is that they're only eating meat. No? <laughs> Welcome them. Feel free to have a conversation. Paul actually presents that that's not the right position. He, he shows it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to bring up verses. But talk about it if you want. But then don't quarrel over it. Welcome them. Fellowship with them. Meet on what you can meet on, which is the essentials. What actually unites us is the essentials. It's not our diet, right? It's one way we could ask the question, where am I going to put something on this list? You know, it's not easy. And different Christians disagree because there's not a list in the Bible, and that's okay. But one thing you could ask is, is this something I have to insist on? Or is this something that it's okay for there to be, for somebody to be wrong on, or somebody to disagree with me on, and still be a part of the the church here or the universal church? We want to preserve our unity with the universal church by knowing what's essential. Um, I would just say this: that there was a time in my life when I read through church history book and I thought, man. None of these people are Christians. I really believe that. I was like, well, here's all these issues that they're totally wrong on. How could they even be Christians? Um, And if that's you, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just saying you might need to rethink where you're at. Um, You might need to question, maybe I've let some of my convictional things bleed into the essentials. Um, And so it's just something to think about, something that there is a real loss here, that we're going to be in heaven with people who are, wrong about a lot of things, and that's okay. Um, And we want to fellowship with them here and encourage them. 
We don't want to cut ourselves cut, cut ourselves off. Uh, it takes wisdom. It takes prayer. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes sharpening one to another. We need wisdom in these things. So, okay, the third thing. We want to preserve the unity in the local church by being clear on what we do believe on convictional issues. So why we're talking about preserving unity is in this specific session he's talking about divisive. Like we don't want to be divisive. Um, we want to preserve the unity in our local church. And that part of that is being clear on convictional issues. That for example, I would put this is not there's no verse to say this, but I would put um, the role of women in ministry, you know, right here in convictional issues. Like we can't both have women pastors and not have women pastors. We can't. Have, it's going to be one or the other. And where we stand is that the Bible says elders are men, and that um, we're going to stick to that. And that that wasn't cultural. That that was universal. That he appeals to Adam and Eve, which everyone has been. Every church that has been established has been since Adam and Eve. So it's universal. It's not cultural. And so we're going to stick to that. Could somebody disagree with that and know all the know and trust Jesus? Absolutely. Okay. Um, but they, uh, but we can't. Just because somebody might come in who we love, we are thankful for, we think is a real Christian, doesn't mean we're going to change what we believe we ought to do as a church. We're going to hold hold on to that. That's a convictional issue. But we want to be clear on it, right? If somebody comes. And that really makes them uncomfortable. That would be hard for them to sit here. Like, I want them to know that. And I want everyone here to know that. It's like, this is where we're at. And so in being clear, that helps preserve unity on, on that issue, on the baptism issue, on a lot of these issues that we've already talked about. It helps preserve our unity to be clear. Even on things that where we disagree, like I, like I mentioned the homeschooling example, another good example. We're not saying if you come here, you have to homeschool your kids. We're, I want to be clear on that, and that helps preserve unity. Um, if, we, if we get off on that or if we start to give the impression that's like only homeschool, only rate of parent godly is, is homeschooling, then, then that can cause some disunity, right, for sure. And we want to be clear here, and we want people to be welcome. And somebody could disagree with that. And I'd have a conversation with them, but that's that's where we stand. Okay. Fourth, we want to preserve unity in the local church by giving freedom for opinions on less clear issues. This again comes back, like we could say, Romans 14. We want to preserve the unity here by giving freedom. Okay? There's a lot of things down here that we disagree on. You know, one thing I'm praying about is is going through Revelation, and there's a lot of really good things in there. But we're not going to insist, you know, on a position, right? I'm sure there's people here who have a lot of different views on Revelation, and that's okay, and you can be here, and we're not going to insist on that. There's, you know, meat is a good example here from Romans 14. We want to give freedom for people. If you want to drink wine at dinner, that's okay. If you feel like you can't, that's okay. And we're, we're going to welcome you. And there's a lot of issues like that um, where we want to preserve the unity. We, want, we don't want to be divisive over making opinions essentials or vice versa. 
Well, I'll give you, I'll read here from Romans 14, the classic passage on this. Uh, As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Very clear here, section on giving liberty and opinions. That you should be convinced in your own mind, you should try and honor the Lord, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree. This is actually really practical. Like, there's a... One way that you might encounter this is Facebook. People post their opinions and convictions on Facebook all the time. And I just saw yesterday on, I don't have a Facebook, but Jess has a Facebook. Um, A friend of hers had posted basically this manifesto or whatever about keeping the Sabbath. Are we going to really take God's commandments seriously or are we not going to? And why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? Kind of an interesting thing to see just yesterday, but the reality is that He talks about that here in Romans 14. He says one esteems the day, all days alike, and one doesn't. And both are trying to honor the Lord, and that's okay. That if, like here in in this church, there are people that have to work on Sundays, work in the medical field, and that's okay. We're not saying they're in sin by breaking the Sabbath. We're saying that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. On the other hand, somebody could come, and they could really their conscience, it bothers them to work on Sunday and they try not to. And that's okay too. And we can welcome them. And we don't have to quarrel. We can have a conversation, but we don't have to quarrel over opinions because we can place it. This is not something that I'm going to insist on. Ryan Fullerton uh, gave a really good example of this where kind of eating healthy became a big deal in their church. Like, really big deal. Like, eat healthy. We're trying to honor God with our body. Is that wrong? No. That's fine. It could become wrong, right, if we start looking around and saying, well, look, that person brought non-organic chips, and I wonder if they're even a Christian, <laughs> right? <laughs> that would be wrong, right? And so, well, he, he gave the example that his brother had a bumper sticker that said, friends don't let friends eat junk. And he used that example, and he said, you know what? Friends do let friends eat junk because it's an opinion, right? It's not an essential issue. We're not going to divide over this. We're not going to, somebody comes in on Sunday to bring the meal, and they've got in, you know, who knows what, and we don't smack it out of their hand and say, you cannot eat that here, right? It's okay, right? That's a silly example, but it's a real-life example, right? And that actually caused tension in churches. That's, that's That's a big deal. And so what I'm saying is these things are important, right? It's important for us to be clear on the gospel, on who God is, it's also, do, it's also good to know what the Bible teaches and to have your convictions, but to be able to rightly place that. We want to preserve our freedom in the local church, preserve our unity in the local church by giving freedom for opinions on less clear issues. And that's, I want to highlight that, less clear issues. If there's a one-to-one Bible verse on something, then we can hold it pretty you know, high on the convictional list. It's like, look, the Bible says this, you know, very, very important, okay? 
um, very clear. If there's something where you have to gather together 10 or 15 verses and then kind of piece them together, well, this seems to imply this and this seems to imply that, then let's move it down the list. You know, um, we know abortion's wrong, murder's wrong, okay? Very clear. Exactly what your diet should be is not so clear, okay? Um, and you could take one verse, like Daniel's fast or something like that, and say, this is, you know, this is what you have to do. But that's not really taking the whole scripture into account. There's a lot of other people who had a lot of other different diets, okay? And we want to do that on all issues. To be able to realize, to think these things through is, is important for us as a church and as unity and here, but also with the universal church. We want to think clearly on these things. And the other thing is re, how we react emotionally might be different. You might just even gauge when you're in a conversation about something, where, is, where are my emotions at? And my emotion, my, I might know intellectually down, that this is an opinion issue, but emotionally I might be way up here thinking this is so important, how dare you? And just gauge that, be self-aware. And that may be from your background. If you're, I'll give you an example. If your dad was an alcoholic, it may deeply, deeply, deeply bother you that somebody is drinking. And that may be really hard emotionally. And I understand that. But you have to be able to know and, and incorporate not only emotionally where you're at, but wh what the Bible says. Okay? And the Bible is very clear that it's okay not to get drunk, but it's okay to drink wine or whatever. Um, and me personally, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm personally not going to drink alcohol just because my role as a pastor, but also I don't want to make anybody stumble. Um, and it's not, here it's not culturally offensive to just not drink alcohol at all. Um, if I was in, if I went to France or something and somebody offered me wine, I may like just try not to offend them by taking a few sips or whatever. But anyways, all that is to say, um, we have to be able to separate emotionally where we're at and take into account what the Bible says about it. Because a lot of us have issues that are really important to us, and we can start to react as if they're way up here, even when we know in our mind they're down here. Um, and so just something to consider, a question to ask yourself, is this something that I really need to insist on, or is this something that I can, I can let go? And it's okay. Finally, I want to bring out one, one final point here. We want to preserve our conscience by giving freedom and opinions and consideration for others' opinions on less clear issues. So we talked about preserving unity, but we want to preserve our conscience, right? Like, if you have an opinion that you cannot work on the Sabbath, that when you do it, um, you really are convinced in your mind you're sinning, then you shouldn't do it, right? Right? Paul's really clear from Romans. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. I'm going to read you this section from Romans 14. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and persuade and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So hear that. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your conscience is bothering you, if, which it would be a good 
probably series or a couple of messages on conscience and how this kind of works its way out. But this is just kind of an overview. But we want to preserve people's conscience. If they feel like something is right um, and we disagree and even we think they're wrong from the scriptures, we got to take into account their conscience. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, though there's not a passage that is like this, I really believe these principles are here in the Bible. Because Paul is doing the same thing we just did. He's saying, here's this issue. It's down here. Remember what the most important stuff is up here? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying this is the real main thing. These are the important things, and these are the less important things. And you have to be able to distinguish. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We have to follow our convictions. And we have to let other people follow their convictions on these secondary issues. We can inform our conscience, we can shape our conscience, we can, uh, our conscience can even be changed and convinced by reading the word of God and saying, oh wow, I had this position, the Bible has this position, I'm wrong, and my conscience is misinformed, and we can shape, and, and our conscience can be changed and convinced. But we've got to preserve our conscience by giving freedom in opinions on these less clear issues. And so, to kind of summarize what we've talked about, I'll just go back to Titus 3 here. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's very profitable to hold on. It's essential, and it's profitable to hold on to who God is, what is the gospel, the main things that the Bible is teaching, the essentials. We've got to do that, and we're and that's you know the plan, obviously. We, we want to hold on to these things, and that's what, we, what we're going to do. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. We want to try and discern when, when to let things go, when even to see, I think you're wrong, and that's okay. Or um, to avoid these dissensions. And then verse 10 specifically, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is a serious issue, right? Like, preserving unity in the body of Christ, uh, rightly dividing these things, is important. Uh, just like Paul had to rebuke Peter. We want to really think these things through and be clear. And we don't want to cause a brother to stumble. We don't want to cause division over things that are down here. This is an important message um, because God put it in here, right? Every verse that God put in here is for a reason. And so we want to think these things through. And this is helpful. I mean, it's helpful for me when I meet a new person. When I meet somebody that uh, has a different view on something than me. 
to have this in my mind, to kind of have this shelves to put things on, and where to start, what's, what should I focus on? And I think I've shared this before, but in evangelism this is important. You know that I used to do things that now I would, if I could go back and talk to myself, I'd say, don't do that. That is not uh, wise or helpful or biblical, really, way to evangelize. Um, and, for example, I would meet somebody who was from this other different you know, cult, and I would pick on the silly things, which were really way down here. I mean, it's not gospel things like, Let's see. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. And I don't want to do it right now. So I'm trying to think of a way to say it. So I'll, I'll give you an example from Mormonism. They have some kind of ritualistic things that are kind of silly, um, and I would nitpick on those and kind of basically make fun of them to show Mormonism is is ridiculous. And the reality was, even if they changed their mind on that, I missed an opportunity to share the gospel. Even if they decided, wow, these ritual things are really silly. Why are we doing this? But they didn't hear about Jesus and faith in him and what really, really mattered, what the real core difference is, then I missed an opportunity. And also, I think I needlessly offended them as well. Um, and I did this, I, do, I would do this in a lot of areas. I'd do this with Catholics or, or others. Pick the low-hanging fruit examples that are really silly um, so one example like that might be, at one point, the Pope, if you followed his tweets, you got some time off indulgences, for, and it was just like, it was silly, right? Um, it sounded so ridiculous. But in making fun of that, I lost an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, I wasn't thinking clearly about what was most important. And... It also, honestly, it wasn't a very Christ-like way to handle it, um, looking back. But all that is to say, these things affect us. Um, as we go out into the world, as we interact with one another, we want to think these things through clearly. And we don't want to be divisive. In this particular section on being divisive, he specifically says, after a person is divisive, you warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you have nothing more to do with them. That could be something doctrinal. That there could be a person who picks a specific topic and they won't let go of it, and it's causing division. Uh, I gave an ex- I've given this example for, but before, but there was a, I think it was a Baptist uh, guy who was a missionary over in France, and he went over there to help this church plant, and he every week would bring up teetotalism in his sermon and out, how nobody should be drinking alcohol when basically all of them culturally did, basically everyone over there like drinks wine at dinner um, at least at least once a week, if not more often than that. And so he would bring this up, and they asked him a couple different times. This guy was actually helping pastor this kind of this church plant. And they said several times, like, we know this is where you're at. We're okay with you taking this position. But could you not bring it up every week? Because it's a point of division. Like, we don't agree with you. Um, and it's becoming a distraction. And the guy basically couldn't let it go. He, he wouldn't. He just kept doing that. And so they actually had to ask him to leave. And so he lost a partnership where they agreed on the gospel, where they agreed on the essentials, because he couldn't keep this opinion um, from causing division. And so 
we don't want to do that. Um, we need wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit. All that is to say on this section on being divisive, uh, kind of, there could be other things. It doesn't have to be doctrinal. It could be gossip. Gossip can be divisive. Um, absolutely. It could be, there's so many different ways to be divisive, so I'm not trying to ins- uh, insinuate that only, you can only be doc- divisive in a doctrinal way. Uh, you could be, but it could be other things. It could be, I mean, I think gossip is a big one. We talked about that earlier in Titus 3, that we don't want, we don't want to be gossiping. We, you, if you don't want people to talk about you um, when you're not around, then probably should, you should not be talking about other people when they're not around. And um, we spent a whole, there's a whole message on that, but we want to be careful not to be divisive and we want to take it seriously. We want it because we take unity seriously. All that is to say this. One last thing we can be thankful for. The Bible, God wrote the Bible in a way that is so clear and helpful that all the main things are the clearest things. Very, very clear over and over and over and over. The main things are very, very, the main things are the plain things. And so we can be thankful that we're standing on solid ground. And the other things, there's other things that are less clear. And that's okay. Um, That specifically, I love this verse, uh, Exodus Oh, no, that's not right. Deuteronomy, it says, I put myself on the spot here. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we might obey all the words of the law. And then right before that, it talks about um, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that we're not going to know, and that's okay. And we can have an opinion, um, or maybe we don't have an opinion, but there's going to be things we don't know. And we can be thankful that the clear things, obedience is obviously one of them, what God wants you to do, that's always going to be clear um, in, in the big picture. God has made it clear to us, and we can be thankful for the word that he's given us. And we can ask ourselves, you know, when something comes up, how clear is this in the Bible? Um, that's a good gauge. So let's pray together. Father, we're just thankful that you love us and that you've given us your spirit to help in these areas. Uh, we want to serve you. We want to be like you. We want to be with you every day. We, wanna, we don't want to be divisive. I pray you protect us from division. Uh, but we want to be clear on the main things and insist on the main things. I pray you give us wisdom and help to do it with love with clarity. I pray you'd give us grace and love for one another in areas where we disagree. Uh, Give us wisdom to know um, just how to interact. Um, We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have grace for us, um, that you love us, and that you forgive us of all the ways we fall short. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you are the truth the way and the life. We're thankful that you love sinners and that we're not saved um, by earning our way or anything like that. We're thankful for grace and for forgiveness. Thank you for everyone here. I pray you'd help us uh, as we just try and honor you in our speech. I pray you put a guard over our mouth and pray you'd give us clarity in our minds. We want to know and hold fast to
the scripture and what you've taught. We don't want to compromise. Um, pray you give us understanding and wisdom. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.